Hello and welcome to the Geeky Medics podcast. This week we're talking all things pharmacy. I hope you enjoy. So my name is uh, Hippolyte Fraser, but everyone calls me HIP for short. Um, and I am the frailty pharmacist uh, based with the frailty team uh, in the uh, emergency department. Um, so yeah, I've done elderly care for a while, but uh, the past couple of years, it's been aimed primarily at looking at the frail elderly folk. Mm-hmm. And um how did you get to where you are? What's your, your training routes up to now? Okay, well, um, started at the BRI as, uh, well, it wasn't a gender for change roles at those times, so we actually started it as an A-grade pharmacist. Um, and obviously, pharmacy has developed quite a bit in the time frame. So in those days, we didn't go up to wards. Um, we stayed primarily down in the dispensary. Um, so, yes, I started down that route um, and I became interested in elderly care quite quickly because obviously in our first year we sort of rotate around the different specialties. Um, and elderly care sort of spoke to me because I really enjoyed the fact that it was a multidisciplinary so it wasn't just the doctors or the pharmacists it was you know the um physiotherapists and the occupational therapists um and i really enjoyed that side of it whenever i could escape up to the wards um i also really like the fact that um you know as elderly um doctors they mostly will listen to what a pharmacist would say um so yes it's a very meaty elderly care is a very meaty pharmacist subject you've got lots of interactions going on um mostly most patients kidneys aren't you know as great as they should be so you know you can talk to the doctors about changing doses for drugs um to accommodate this so yes i just really enjoyed that aspect of it um and as things have progressed i kind of went towards working um at another hospital which was the bristol general hospital at the time it's now closed um but that was primarily elderly care and it had acute and rehab and then as time went it became much more sort of rehab based um and that's really where the time comes where you can um spend looking at a patient's uh, medications and trying to do medicines optimization as far as possible um so i enjoyed that aspect of it as well um and then the chance to go up to the wards kind of developed and we became much more integrated with the ward teams and um, so leaving the dispensary was a, a nice uh, evolution of the role um, and nowadays hopefully we're mostly based on the wards and, and we're there when the decisions are made which is easier to sort of influence rather than waiting for the decision to be made and then picking it up in the dispensary yeah definitely um, so that was um a fun a fun thing and when it was at the general and there was an admissions unit what i tended to do was try to listen in on their um handovers so i would go up after the morning session and in those days it was recorded on a little cassette so i would go and 
put the cassette in and listen to it. Uh, probably some of our viewers are going, what's a cassette? Um, but anyway, um, so then I would sort of see, um, you know, if a patient had come in, say, with falls, uh, that was someone I could sort of go and have a look at and see whether actually the medication was contributing towards that. Um, and based on that sort of work, um, the consultants really appreciated it. So there was uh, a ability to put some funding into that. And that's how some of the elderly care roles kind of developed um, at the back of that. Um, and then when I was over at the BRI, um, the sort of frailty um, post was something that I worked with as well. Um, again, everyone is very much aware that um, you know, it's not a good idea for patients to be on a load of things, uh, but it, that sort of looking into it and trying to pick all these things mm. apart really takes a lot of time. Um, so that's where the sort of frailty post came yeah. in and yeah. they got the funding and then uh, here we are. Which is a circle back to the fact that, because um, as an F3 doctor, I mean, obviously pharmacists are on the ward all the time. Um, asking you questions yeah. or like prodding yeah. you and saying you haven't changed this drug or you know what why is this patient on this and like the thought that the pharmacists are not on the ward is a, is, a, is, a, is a weird concept to me so you just <laughs> you, you never you never went to the ward you just no no absolutely we were stuck down in the dispensary and then we would just get all the charts would just come in a big pile and then all we would do is sort of go through review the charts and you know we could pick potentially pick up things that way um but obviously the ability to be able to be on the wards and be able to look at the notes as well as being able mm. to look at the drug chart it, yeah it's well it's changed yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and obviously is, is way safer for the patient and um you you as I say you pick up things that other people haven't and and can you know make real differences to to um, yes. why why someone's coming to hospital if the medication has caused them to fall and etc yeah and the other big thing that's that's happened is obviously the ability for us to be able to access record gp records because yeah. obviously that was another issue is um you know making sure that when patients come in that we are uh, actually getting them on the medications that they are normally on mm. uh, and in the old days you would have to pick up a phone call a gp surgery and get them to fax over uh, patients records um, and I you know don't know about you but you know how difficult it is these days to even just get on the phone to to the receptionist there so um, yeah just imagine that for every single new patient on your ward. Um, so uh, what is like your day-to-day -day, what's what do you do day-to-day -day now as part of your frailty role um, what sort of things do you do? Um, so it varies, but mostly um, we kind of hi um, highlight the sort of patients that um, are frail by looking at the sort of list um, of patients who are in ED. Um, and I mean, age is usually the first kind of factor, um, but someone can be referred to us. Uh, but then when you actually go and chat to them, actually normally uh, they're, you know, very or probably better than I am because they go out and play golf three times a week or, you know, they do yeah. Tai Chi and they do all these things and you're just like, well, you're not, I mean, you're old, but you're not frail. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I guess part of it is sort of educating everyone about that role. Um, and then if we do find someone who sort of fits our criteria, um, the team sort of gets involved, um, the sort of, 
um, nurses will go uh, uh, be able to look at the patient and try and get them out of bed if possible to see how they are. Um, they will contact um, either carers or family members to see um, in order to get a CGA, a comprehensive geriatric assessment, um, which will basically give us the understanding of whether, how this patient is. Are they how they are? Because sometimes people seem really badly you know they might not be able to walk very well or they walk with a really bad you know shuffle or something but actually when you speak to the relatives like well you know that's how they walk it's fine mm. um and uh, then we kind of look to see if there's anything that's going on that we can uh, help with and obviously medications is something that I can look at uh, just to make sure that they're not on anything that's making anything worse um, and also um, you know bone health from my point of view um, there's two things one I'd like to take drugs away uh, but secondly I also like to make sure that we're giving uh, people um, you know vitamin d for example um, because if a lot of these patients will fall and will carry on falling uh, and we want them to bounce. We don't want them to break when they do. So um, bone protection um, pain, I think, is another huge element of it. Pain relief. Um, I think a lot of our patients, um, especially if they're suffering from dementia, um, it's very difficult to understand if they are necessarily in pain. So it's being able to pick up all the other clues to understand that actually yeah, they, they, they probably are because, you know, in the past, maybe they would be taking regular pain relief, but now they're just not able to maybe, um, you know, say that they are in pain. So they're just not necessarily getting it. Uh, so, you know, being able to get them as comfortable as possible uh, is also another big part of it. Um, and then ultimately, if we can try and turn them around so they're not coming into hospital, uh, then that's what we do. Or if they're only going to be able to you know, come in overnight maybe for something and then be able to get them back home. Uh, you know, that's what we really spend our time doing. Um, and from my point of view, that journey sometimes continues a bit more. Um, if there's been a lot of medication changes for a patient, then I like to try and follow them through. So I'll put a note for myself and then in a couple of weeks, I'll check to see that his or uh, hers medication record has reflected the sort of suggestions we've made. And you'd be surprised that really doesn't happen a lot of the time. So then it's a matter of getting in touch uh, with people to sort of make sure that that does happen. Yeah. And what, what are the common things you see in terms of, I mean, we talked about um, getting rid of medications. So what, what are the common things that you're getting rid of drug charts? the the oh, stuff that I hate with a passion you yeah mean? <laughs> yeah exactly um so for me number one is anticholinergics mm. um they yeah for, as far as I'm concerned they really don't have a, a a big role to play other than making patients fall um so I try and see if we can possibly take that away from the equation. Um, there's lots of other alternatives as well. I mean, if you know they are suffering from urinary incontinence, then um, you know there's lots of other things that we can do to help them rather than relying on these drugs, which you know 
don't really necessarily help but do definitely give them side effects mm -hmm. and do definitely help them to fall as well um from a pain relief point of view codeine is my number one drug that i think is um really great at causing confusion to the elderly well not just the elderly i mean i've known lots of uh, healthy young people as well who've taken codeine and yeah. gone with the fairies um but you know it's not quite so impactful on them um so yes i I don't know why, but codeine, well, as you know, it's a pro-drug and it needs to be converted to morphine uh, in our bodies for it to be effective. Um, so it's a little bit of a lottery if you're giving it to someone who's not had it before and you don't know what response they're going to have. Um, so I just feel like, why do you need that lottery choice when it comes to pain relief for our old folks? You know, a tiny, if their kidneys are fine, a tiny dose of Oromorph, in my mind, is a safer option. Um, and the thing with the codeine is, yes, it, it, it will, def it, you know, may have no effect on their pain relief, but it will definitely maybe cause them to be confused and most certainly also get constipated. So it's a double whammy. Um, and uh, that the other the other drug I would say is also that tends to cause great confusion um, and cause people to fall is prochlorperazine. Uh, so, um, you know, if patients maybe are feeling a bit dizzy and they'll go to their GP, it's a drug that seems to get prescribed quite easily for dizzy, uh, for dizziness, but then can have a real impact again on uh, cognition and falls from an elderly perspective. Uh, and obviously, it's a no-no if you're a Parkinson's patient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with, with the anticholinergics, what sort of um, specific anticholinergics do people end up on that you, you find yourself relatively easily uh, yeah crossing crossing <laughs> off yeah what what sort of examples um so i think things like uh, oxybutamin is probably my worst culprit um i think uh, if you do have to have uh, an anticholinergic then um i prefer trospium because uh, that doesn't cross the blood brain barrier so it causes less confusion you'll still have all the other problems um and it was only uh, not yesterday, the day before, we had a gentleman who came in who was on um, tolteridine uh, and he came in because um, of having a urine, uh, have being in urinary retention. They put a catheter in. He'd ended up with an infection. And um, so I was like, well, please, let's get rid of the thing that's probably causing him to go into retention. Um, so, yes, I would say those are probably my top three. Um, and probably if patients need something, um, an, an, an oral agent for um, urinary incontinence, then, you know, something like Myrobegron is kinder um, as far as the side effects are concerned. Do you, how, how often do you find polypharmacy is a cause of, of admission or at least, you know, the reason why people have come in? Is, uh, uh, maybe that's yeah, a hard that, question to answer. It like, is. It's not I always clear cut, um, is it? No, it's not. However, what I can tell you is I could I could look at probably every one, every patient who's over 65 years of age. I could look at their medication list and I could probably find for most of them something that I would want to swap. Statistics wise, they sort of quote um, patients coming into ED as as high as sort of 20 percent due to medication uh, related problems. Um, but the other thing is, even if it's not causing them necessarily 
something a reason to necessarily come in now you know why be on something unless yeah it yeah sure it'll cause an come. issue later won't it even if it exactly. hasn't exactly yeah, yeah 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 there was a, a patient mm. who had on uh, a geriatrics ward who um who was just tachycardic for we, we couldn't work out why so going at like 110 120 she just stopped smoking and she was on aminophilin and um oh. and we were talking about it we're like we don't know why she's tachycardic and the pharmacist pipes up behind and said has she stopped smoking i said yeah she has she said and the pharmacist like <laughs> that's the cause level. and the am- we did aminophilin levels and they were sky high and yeah, i was just that. that that was just the coolest i just thought that is so cool i mean he was quite impre- he was quite happy with himself um yeah it's but- not often you get to pull those impressive parts <laughs> i know he was revising for his exam at the time so i think it was all at the forefront of his mind but um yeah. I-, I was thinking wow that's really cool it must be quite nice when you you get things like that where you think actually this is you know yeah this is a, made the this patient will be the reason 100 better and you know got them yeah. home eventually yeah but even something like nicotine replacement you know again um from an old folk point of view um because they're just that much more uh sensitive to things so you're obviously wanting to give them some replacement because you know they normally smoke and they can't at the moment so you don't want them you know having withdrawal symptoms because of that reason but too much nicotine can also be problematic so even just you know a patch I always advise for them to remove it when they go to bed because again it can give them really bad nightmares and things like that so so yeah just being very very practical I think goes hand in hand with elderly care yeah 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 um if someone comes in to to the emergency department and, and they can't swallow which I suppose isn't isn't an uncommon thing at all particularly yeah. if they're you know if they're very unwell very septic they're just you know yeah. or, you know whatever ha- what sort of things do you cross off that you're happy to stop or uh, how do you sort of manage that so i always look at this in a in a two sort of way one is is this a sort of short-term problem they're going to have in which case their swallow is going to recover and they're going to go back to the way they were um in which case you know let's hold maybe things so that we're not, you know, giving them, you know, like statins and, you know, potentially even the vitamin D just for a bit. Um, or is this something that is going to be a long term problem? Um, in which case you, you sort of deal with things in a different way. If it's short term and it can be held for a while and then they can go back to how they're having things, that's easy enough. But if it's a long term problem and say they're going to need a peg tube or something, um, then I think being rational again. Um, so, you know, instead of necessarily having or, uh, um, a version of pain relief that needs to be put down a peg tube, maybe we can give them a pat, use a patch instead. Uh, so take away the route, that route altogether. Um, I think, again, being pragmatic about, I, I think patients whose swallow has gone and isn't going to come back, you probably need to also be pragmatic about how far away, you know, what's their sort of prognosis, how long do we really think they're going to have. And again, um, you know, if something is helping them, great, let's carry on giving it to them. Uh, but otherwise, realistically, why, why are we trying to get stuff yeah. into them and yeah why do they need a statin or yeah exactly you know. it's 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 more about how i think what's the patient's preference um so talking to them and kind of 
seeing what's a difficult, you know, what's their, what's their, what are they aiming for? Is it the, oh, I don't want to take any more tablets or um, if they, you know, I'd rather take liquid tablets or, you know, whatever it is that they want. Um, I think that's really important. And again, if they're, if they're diabetic, um, sort of looking at what their HbA1c is telling us and remembering that frail folk have a higher threshold. So can we de-escalate the treatments? If someone's losing a lot of weight, I'm very keen for them not to be on something like metformin, for example, uh, which is probably not helping them. Um, I just don't understand when I see patients taking metformin, their HbA1c is probably you know 50 or below. Um, and then we'll also give them supplement feeds. And I'm like, come on, let's be rational about what we're trying to do for our patients. Um, so yes, I, I had a, a lady who had come in and swallowing was a big issue for her. Um, so I sort of went through everything um, and I spoke to her husband because he dealt with the medications um, and I sort of explained what you know we could offer. Um, and we changed a lot of things so that they could be liquid form. Um, and then I sort of, I did follow this lady up to make sure the changes had been made. And I could see down the line that actually she, we changed some things to liquid, but actually she'd gone back to having a tablet because the tablet was so small, but the, and the liquid wasn't quite as palatable for her as well. So even, you know, even there's something as little as that, but what we did do is again, strip back how many tablets she had to take so that she was only on things that were making her, um, you know, that were helping her. And she also had a mess. So it was, you know, making sure that like her back of hen and tizanidine she was having, um, but she definitely didn't need her metformin because she'd lost, you know, mm -hmm. several stones in yeah. weight. <laughs> what, what are the common things that you see um, sort of prescribers on the ward making mistakes that you sort of change or see? And uh, I, I don't know if there's things that, you know, <laughs> everyone has their bugbears, don't they? But things that you commonly see that, that yeah. are just wrong. I mean, I think that diabetes medication is a classic, yes. um, but when their insulin being the wrong dose and things but quite often there's things that pharmacists remind me about regularly that I know I probably should you know yeah. keep an eye on a bit more yeah so sort of classic things from from my point of view one of my biggest bugbears is on drug charts when you see um it sort of says blank of blank to tell you how many drug charts there are and so few people fill that out so I'm like well mm. Has this patient got one drug chart or 10 yeah, drug that's... charts? You know, how do I know how many drug charts there are? Um, so that's a little pet peeve of mine. Um, but otherwise, yeah, unfortunately, anything can go. And, and again, the Parkinson's, I, I will mention the Parkinson's medication uh, does get prescribed quite badly as well. Um, I was working on Saturday and um, had a call from ED to say, could we supply some Parkinson's medications urgently? Um, so I said, yeah, bring the drug chart over. And literally pretty much everything was wrong on that drug chart. Um, e even the patient number hadn't been transcribed correctly. Um, so I started off going, oh, <laughs> this is going to be great. And um, there were a lot of the drugs hadn't even been signed. Um, there was uh, the co-carol dopa given at night, didn't say that it was modified release. The co-carol dopa through the day, um, should have been two of the tablets of the 12.5 stroke 50 milligrams uh, but instead that hadn't got you know written up correctly so I crossed it all off and wrote it as it should be 
there was a rivastigmine prescription which was duplicated so yeah there it was a, it was a, quite a classic yeah. car crash of a drug chart i have to say um, take a picture and, and yeah. send it to all the doctors <laughs> this say. is what you don't want to do uh, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> um i think formulation is is probably one of the things from my point of view that um and hopefully when I, one of the things that when I do uh, talk to my medical students, I highlight as much as I can, because I say the power of the pen is powerful um, when it comes to that sort of thing. And, you know, you can make a real difference if you don't say something is dispersible. You know, it's going to act slower for your patient. If you're not going to say it's modified release, then they're not going to get the right thing. It's not going to last as, as much as it should for them. Um, so I would say formulation, formulation, formulation um, would be the top one. And then the other thing that it, people aren't so good at doing is um, you kind of read what the patient is on, so the drug, but then you don't necessarily follow the line through to say that actually it's half a tablet that's taken twice a day or it's three of those tablets that's twice a day. Um, so that's definitely something that um, I would say, uh, I don't know why, but the sort of, you know, the focus is just, oh, they're on this tablet versus actually how much of this tablet are they having? Mm, mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what's the best, best bits of your job? The best bits are ultimately talking to the patient um, and seeing them how much happier they are with the changes you've made um, so I had a lady who came in she was in her 90s she was brilliant though really sharp uh, and basically oh she just stopped taking her medications because she'd had enough she said she wasn't taking anymore um, so I sort of went through with her what was what would have been what would be really important for her and we crossed some stuff off um, and then I um, she had a compliance aid so I uh, I did a bit of a blue Peter job on it where I, you know, took out what um, she was on and it was an impressive amount of tablets, trust me. Um, so afterwards I went back and I showed her, look, this is what you're going to take. And she was like, Oh dearie, you've made me so happy. I feel like I'm 36 years old. <laughs> I was like, That's fantastic. Even I'm not 36 years old. <laughs> Um, so that's great. Um, and then again, our Parkinson's patients, I often get um, to follow up if they've had changes and things like that. And hearing the difference that the medication can make, um, especially when they say things like, I feel like myself again. Um, that's definitely, that's definitely a highlight. Um, and then the next thing would be what my colleagues feedback to me, I guess, or my students feedback to me when they say I have really got a lot out of any kind of teaching I've done. Um, or, yeah, if I've, uh, uh, you know, the, the few times when you've really um, made some saved someone's, you know, bacon, shall we say, uh, because you spotted a mistake and it hasn't gone to the patient. So, yeah. 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 That's I mean, that's like fundamentally that that's your i mean if i think of one of the most important bits of a pharmacist job that's it isn't it is just yeah you, know, you do all of these other things but you and it has happened to me you know when i've prescribed a pixaban etc 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 yeah they've been picked up and it just then you know doesn't reach the patient and yeah everyone's fine yeah it was a close call but <laughs> you know and that's that must be yeah that must be quite nice to definitely you know, the number that. of doctors that have said oh you guys have saved you know have really saved yeah, yeah. Uh, you know thank you very much so yeah that, that's very nice because like I said initially when we weren't up there 
uh, I, I always used to go in and I remember this one consultant, every time I ever walked into their treatment, their um, clinic room, they'd be like, oh no, what have I done now? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, I don't want to seem like I'm hassling you, I'm sorry. <laughs> it is a little bit like that still, I must have been. Well, they can't try to think, oh dear, yeah. oh, what no. have I prescribed? Yeah. What have oh, I done no. now? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. But, you know, in a good way. Of course, of course. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, you're totally our safety net. And you know, yeah, yeah. It, it's good. Although that does put a lot of pressure on you to be able to pick stuff up. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, definitely. Yeah, well, we're all human. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I've, I've learned loads. So. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. <Yeah. laughs> I think that's the main thing for me. I just, um, I think being able to you utilize pharmacists would be something that I would you know say that unfortunately from a sort of managerial point of view I think we're seen sometimes as an expensive resource um, um, because you know we can't necessarily um, show that we've like uh, what sure. we've done you know it's not yeah. really the same yeah, yeah. as sort of saying you know I've I've put so many people on this one. so yeah these yeah, preventative yeah, yeah. measures are difficult to to quantify I guess yes exactly so um I think just the fact that you you know you appreciate your pharmacists on the ward uh, is is enough really <laughs> I definitely do so yeah. that's good <laughs> thanks so much for coming on the podcast it's been it's been great oh no thanks for the invite I'm glad That was a super interesting uh, episode and I hope you enjoyed it too. If you want to hear more from us, please consider subscribing to your podcast provider. You can also follow Geeky Medics on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. We'd love to hear from you with suggestions on who you'd like to hear from next. As always, thanks to the producers of the podcast, Emma Harvey and Lewis Potter.